0: Thank you guys. All right. <clears throat> it's been a few weeks <clears throat> since we have been together studying doctrine. If you remember, last time we met, we studied the doctrine of sin. We looked at original sin, how we are uh, guilty through Adam, how we have a sinful nature. We looked at the effects of sin, how when a believer sins, it does not affect, it does not change our standing before God, but it does change our relationship. Isaiah 59 says, your iniquities have separated you from God, and so even as believers, when we sin, there becomes distance between us and God. That's why we are told that we are to confess our sins on a regular basis. We see that as a part of the, the Lord's Prayer, that when there's sin in our life, it, uh, it produces guilt, it produces shame, there needs to be a repentance, there needs to be a change, a turning away from that sin. Um, the question is, can a, how much sin can a true believer have in their life? I don't know. It ought to be the case that as a true believer, we want to glorify God. We want to honor God. And so when there's sin in our life, it bothers us. It changes us. It leads to a true repentance. And so we looked at sin, and tonight I want us to study the doctrine of atonement. Atonement could be defined In this way, the atonement is the work that Christ did in his life and in his death to earn salvation. When you hear the word atonement, it means the work that Christ has done both in his life and through his death to earn our salvation. The first question that comes to my mind is what leads to the atonement? What is the cause of the atonement? What was the ultimate cause that led Christ to come to earth and to die for our sins? I believe when you look at this, you go back to the character of God, to the qualities of God, to the attributes of God. And I believe you come to two. One is the love of God and the other is the justice of God. Now, we're real easy to come up with the love of God if you know John three sixteen, you see this in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Right? So why did God send his son? Y'all awake this, this evening? For God so loved, right? Way to pay attention. I like that. Because God loved us, God looked at a lost world, he looked at a lost people, at dying people, and he said, I love those people, I want a relationship with those people, I want to be reconciled with those people. And so because of the great love of God, he sent his son, Jesus Christ. But it's not just the love of God that we must understand, it's also the justice of God. Romans 3.25 Romans 3.25, it says this. It says, Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. Now, that's a word you probably don't use much, propitiation. Don't know if I'm saying that right, but I'm just going to go with it, right? Here's what it means, okay? Okay. In the Bible, this is what it means. It's referring to a sacrifice that bears the wrath of God so that God becomes favorably disposed to us. It means that there is a a sacrifice that bears the wrath of God so that God looks at us in a favorable way. And that is what we see that has happened with Jesus Christ. Let me read it again. Romans 3:25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. Here's the question, how can God be just? How can God be just because in the Old Testament there are all these sins, right? Thousands and thousands of sins, but yet we see these men and women of God, and we see that they are saved. So did God just forgive these sins and forget about them? No, what Romans says is that God forgave these sins, but he is holding on to them with his wrath until Jesus comes, and then he will pour out his wrath upon Jesus. So there is the love of God and there is the justice of God. For God to be just, which God is, amen, God is just. For God to be just, he cannot allow sin to go unpunished. There's no justice in that. For God to be just, it means that there must be a punishment to sin. And so, therefore, the love and the justice of God go hand in hand. And both the two are equally important. Here's what seems to happen. What seems to happen is as believers, we begin to get the balance off and we begin to focus on either the love or the justness of God. And there are people all over today, there are preachers, there are men and women, supposedly of God, and they go and they begin to say, you know, God loves you. God loves you so much, I'm not going to talk about sin, I'm not going to talk about your life, I'm not going to talk about the way you talk, or the way you think, or the places you go, or all the things that you do that dishonor God, let me just talk about the love of God, amen, people do that, right, and they talk so much about the love of God, and I agree, there is so much of the love of God, but on the other side, there's also the justice of God. But on the other extreme, there are those who forget about the love of God and they go through life with this legalistic mentality and they believe that you must earn the love of God. And so what you've got to do is you've got to go to church this many times a week and you've got to give this much money every month and you've got to go to this ministry and that ministry and you've got to go to this organization and that organization and you've got to do this, 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 and this in order that you may earn the love of God. Listen, just like the first one, that is not biblical. The reason that Jesus came is because God is a God of love and God is a just God. Well, the next question is this Was there any other way for God to save us besides spending his son to die in our place? Was there any other option? Was there any other way that, that we could find salvation? Before we we go that direction, let me just say this. It was not necessary for God to save us at all. God would have been perfectly right and perfectly just to let us live our life and then spend eternity in hell because we broke his law and we rebelled against God. That would not be on God. That would be on us. In fact, we see that with the angels. Remember when we studied the angels and we saw that there was a great rebellion in heaven? What did God do with those fallen angels? You're out of here, right? Cast them out. There's going to be judgment upon those angels. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4. It says, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but he cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. When the angels rebelled against God, listen to me, there's no second chance. There's no do-over. There's no reconciliation. There's no let's find another way. They rebelled against God and judgment is coming. God could have done the same thing with us. And he would have been right to do so. But out of the love and the mercy of God, he came up with a way to offer us salvation. And that way is only through the blood of Jesus. I see this because do you remember in Matthew 26 when Jesus, Jesus was praying before he was to be crucified? Remember he's in the garden and the disciples are out here, they're supposed to be praying. And he's over here and he's praying to the Father. Remember what he prayed? He said, Father, if there be any other way, Father, if there be any other way in in, in my language, Lord, if there's any other way, let's go that way. Lord, if we can accomplish this task in any other means, in any other method, I would like to go that route now. If there's a plan B, if there's something behind door number two, let's, let's look at this. Let's go this other way. But that didn't happen. And then he said, But but nevertheless, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And he went through with his crucifixion. There was no other way. There was no other way that we could come to the Lord except through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, even today, that's true. There's nothing you can do. You say, I've been baptized. I don't care. I've walked down a church aisle. It doesn't matter. I've come to church a, a lot of times. It, it doesn't matter. I go to a life group or a Sunday school, whatever you want to call it. It doesn't matter. I've been involved in all these different ministries. It does not matter. There's nothing that you can do to earn salvation except through the blood of Jesus Christ. Romans three twenty six. It says, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Hebrews 2.17, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make a propitiation for the sin of the people. Hebrews tells us that it was impossible through the blood of bulls or goats to take away sin, but a better sacrifice was required, and it's only through Jesus. Well, let's talk about the obedience of Jesus. What did Jesus do? Obviously, the, the climax we're going to look at is his death, his crucifixion. But I want you to know that even his obedience in life was important. It was necessary for our salvation. You see, for us to be saved, we must have a righteousness. Who in here is righteous? Not me, right? We mess up, we sin. There's not righteousness in my life. If it just would have been the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we would have been forgiven. We would have had no more shame and no more guilt, but there would not be righteousness in our life. Righteousness must be proven. Think of somebody you know in life, somebody that, that you would say, realizing we all sin, someone that you would say is a righteous person, someone that you would say is a godly person. Why do you say that? You probably pick someone that you know very well, correct? Correct. You pick someone that you have seen their life. You have seen their life in the good times and in the bad times. You've seen their life in the way that they handle the difficulties. And you see them navigate through life and you say, that is an individual that loves God. You know, for our righteousness, it had to be something that was proven. It had to be something that was shown. Throughout a period of time. That's why Jesus lived for 33 years. So that he could walk through this life and his righteousness could be proven. Now listen, did Jesus need to prove his righteousness for himself? No. I mean, he's already with the Father in heaven, right? He came and he was righteous for us. He came and he lived a righteous life so that his righteousness can be upon my life and upon your life. Paul says this in Philippians 3. He says, and he found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He said, I don't want my righteousness. I want the righteousness of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1 talks about how he has been our Righteousness. Romans 5, it says, For by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. His righteousness is poured out on my life and on your life. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that it's not about what I've done, but it's about what Christ has done. We also see in the atonement that Christ suffered for us. One of the ways he suffered in this life was through his his daily living. When you look at Matthew 4, you see that he was tempted in the wilderness, right? Here we see the Son of God, and he's in the wilderness. And the Bible says the enemy came and for 40 days assaulted Jesus. For 40 days, the Bible says he tempted Jesus. That was suffering on the heart of Jesus, We also see in Hebrews 5.8, it says, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. As he grew up and he learned, he suffered during that time. You read the Bible, you see quickly that there was much opposition to Jesus. The religious leaders were always opposed to Jesus. They were always trying to catch him. They were always trying to trick him. They were always coming with conflict toward Jesus. There was suffering in his life. The Bible says that when his friend John the Baptist died, what did Jesus do? He wept. There was suffering. There was loss. You say, well, Case, we all deal with this stuff. Yes, we do, but we're used to it because we are sinful. When you look at Jesus, you see there's no sin in him. There's no sin in his life. And so when he goes through life and he begins to deal with this sinful, sinful stuff around him, it is a big deal. But we also see... The pain of the cross, the physical pain, and the death. Death by crucifixion was and is one of the most horrible forms of execution man has ever come up with. In the biblical times when someone read a verse like Mark 15 and it says, and they crucified him, they knew what that meant. They had seen it. They had walked down the street and they had seen a man as he was Hanging on a cross. Now we, we don't see it. And I'm afraid because we don't see it, we miss it. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that Jesus was beaten and that his, his back was ripped open. The Bible says that they took a, a crown of thorns and they, they pressed it into his head, into his skull. The Bible says that they, they took him and they, they put spikes and nails in his hands and in his feet. And they lifted him up on a, on a wooden cross. And what they would do, you would when someone was dying on a cross, they would die by suffocation. They would be hanging on this cross. And every time they wanted to take a breath, they would have to lift their bodies up. And they would lift their bodies by the spikes in their hands and the spikes in their feet. And as they pulled their body up, that spike would make a larger hole and it would tear those tendons and the blood would begin to pour out again. And as he would lift himself up, his back was opened and bloody and it would rub against that rough cross. And so every time he would pull himself up for one breath, the, the pain would be unbearable. And then he would release again and he would hang down until the next breath was needed. And at the last minute, he would pull himself up one more time and take a deep breath and then fall back down. And history tells us that would happen for up to days at a time. As they would watch these men, as they would bleed and they would bleed and they would bleed. And they would suffer and they would be in the pain and they would be in the agony. And at times to speed the process up, they would come and they would break their legs. You know why they broke their legs? If their legs were broken, they couldn't pull themselves up to get a breath any longer. And so after so many days, they would say, that's been enough. We can't wait any longer. Break his legs. And then they would stay and they would suffocate in that position. The pain, the pain that Jesus chose. You know, the Bible says that at any moment, He could have called down legions of angels. Thousands of angels could have come and they could have wiped the place out and they could have freed Jesus. At any moment he could have said, that's enough, I want off this thing. That's enough, I want down. But he never did it. And do you know why he never did it? He never did because of you. He never did because he loves you. And so he kept on with the pain. He kept on with the agony. Minute after minute, hour after hour, and He did it for me, and He did it for you, man. If we could just understand that in my life, I think there's so many times that I just I belittle the sacrifice that Christ made. I pretend it's no big deal by the way that I live and the choices that I make, but to understand the price that was paid would be a huge awakening for many of us. But it was not just the physical pain. The Bible also speaks of the pain in bearing sin, the psychological pain. Do you ever look at your life and do you ever feel guilt or remorse when you do something wrong? You do, right? I do in my life. I mess up, I sin, I go against God, and my my heart is broken. And have you seen this, that the more you grow in the Lord, The more you get closer to the Lord, the more that sin bothers you. The more you grow in holiness and the more you grow in righteousness, all of a sudden sin begins to bother you more than it used to. Hopefully where we are tonight, sin bothers us more today than it did last year because we are growing. The Bible says that that Christ, we know he was perfect. He had no sin on his life. He had no sin in his heart. He had the, the joy of unrestricted fellowship with the Father. But the Bible says that when he was on that cross, the sin of the world was placed upon him. The sin of the world was placed upon his perfect life. Can you imagine the pain that goes with that? I want you to think for just a moment. Think about the last sin that you committed. Maybe it was today. Maybe it was yesterday, maybe it was last week. Think about the last sin that you just remember. You committed and you said, I I should not have done that. You know that sin that you're thinking about, that was placed on Jesus? On this day, that that sin was placed on Jesus. I believe he thought of it. I believe he knew it. That sin was placed upon his life, and he paid the price for that sin. Isaiah 53:6 it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. John 1.29, it says, The next day they saw Jesus coming, and they said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hebrews 9, it says, he was offered once to bear the sins of many. The Bible teaches that God put the sin of the world upon Jesus. You say, well, how does that work? How does that happen? You remember when we talked about original sin and we talked about Adam and how we are found sinful because of Adam? Another example of that, God took the sin of the world and he placed it upon Jesus. Jesus. It doesn't mean that he looked on Jesus and he he believed that Jesus had sinned, but it means that he was to be liable for the sin of the world. He was to pay the price. He was to pay the penalty for every sin in the world. Even more than that, we also see there was a great abandonment Remember when Jesus was in the garden, he was praying, and he brought Peter, James, and John, brought them closer and said, you guys stay here and and pray for a little while, and then he went and he prayed, and he came back, and what were they doing? They were asleep, right? And then the Bible says the guards came, Judas came, they took Jesus away, and what did the disciples do? They fled, didn't they? They ran off. They ran away. These were his best friends. These were his closest allies. These were the people that he spent every day with and they just left they vanished they went away even more than his his friends here we see on the cross Jesus calls out and he says my God my God why have you forsaken me Jesus he's always been with the father They've always had this this joyous relationship. But while he is on the cross and he has my sin, he has your sin upon his body, that relationship is no more the way it used to be. And so he cries out and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's a sense to where he has been abandoned. And I remind you, he did that for me and he did that for you. Voluntary. Nobody made him do it. He did that because he loves us. And in that moment, he bore the wrath of God. He bore the wrath of God upon his body. The wrath of God for every sin, the justice of God, the price that must be paid, the penalty that must be paid was poured out upon the Son of God. He calls out and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we look at that and maybe we say, where is God in this point? Does he feel like God has betrayed him? I don't think he feels like God's betrayed him. He knew what was to happen. He knew that he would be restored to God. We see in John 16, John 17, he talks about what's going to happen and then he will be reunited with God. But when he says this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It comes from the 22nd Psalm. Psalm 22, verse 1, it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? it's almost like, God, how much longer? God, how much longer? And I believe what we see on the cross when when Jesus calls out and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's saying, Lord, how much longer? How much longer? In his humanity, he's he's crunching down the moments. He's crunching down the minutes. And the wrath of God is being poured out upon his life. And he says, Lord, how much longer? How much longer? How much longer? How much longer? The pain is so great. Lord, how much longer? How much longer do I have to do this? Lord, how much longer? And minutes go on. And hours go on. And he stays faithful to the mission because he loves us. And then John nineteen thirty, Jesus cries out and he says, it is finished. And then he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I don't really know what to say. I don't really know how to close this message up. I guess I I think if we understand just a little bit of what Jesus did for us on that day, it could change our life. And and I know we know. I know nothing that has been said tonight is new. We know that Jesus died. We know that he was beaten. We know he was spat upon. We know he had a a crown of thorns upon his head. We know that. But I just want to do we really know it. On the inside, do we really see the pain? Do we see the agony? Do we see what he went through? Do we realize that at any moment he could have stopped it? You say, he's God. Did he feel the pain? Yes, he felt the pain. Just like you would have felt the pain. Just like I would have felt the pain. He felt the pain. And he could have stopped it. At any moment he could have stopped it. But he didn't. And the reason he didn't is it is only by the shed blood of Jesus that we can have salvation. The only way that I can have salvation is through the shed blood of Jesus. The only way that you can have salvation is through the shed blood of Jesus. And so the the Bible says he, he counted it joy. Remember Hebrews? He counted it joy for the cross. It was joyous because he saw the other side. He knew what that means for, for you. Those of you that are believers, he knew what that meant. And so he said, I'm going to do this and be joyous about it because I know it's going to be worth it in the end. And I, when I think about this in this week as I've studied and I've looked at all these scriptures, it just makes me want to live a life that honors that. When someone makes that type of sacrifice, it ought to lead us to live a life that honors it that recognizes it, that realizes it, a life that says, man, when I sin, I realize that you paid the price for it. I don't want to live a life of sin. I don't want to live a life that that makes more sin upon you, more wrath upon you. I don't want to do that. I want to live a life that honors you. It ought to lead us to a point to where we're grateful. He didn't have to do this, God did not have to send his son. Jesus did not have to come. He did not have to die. But he did it out of a great love. When's the last time you just just said, Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the price that you paid. I think we have a problem with taking things for granted. I do. And that goes through all areas of my life. But this is probably the biggest one. When it comes to, to my salvation, I take it for granted. I, I just pretend like it's something that's owed to me. It's not owed to me. I pretend like it's not a big deal. It is a big, big deal. And so I want to just give you just a, a minute. I want to give you just a few minutes and just ask you to have a time of prayer where you are. Number one, to, to pray and say, Lord, thank you. Jesus, thank you for what you've done. God, thank you for sending your son. Uh, Can you imagine for God to pour out his wrath upon his own son? God, thank you for that. And then pray, Lord, I want my life to honor you. Show me the things that are not honoring you. Let me ask you to, to do that. And then, Brother Greg, after a few minutes, would you close us in prayer, please?